BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Today's episode is sponsored by Headspace. Hi, besties. Welcome to or welcome back to Trying to Care. If you missed last month's Q&A episode, I mentioned that the last Monday of every month is going to be an advice session. So with it being the last Monday of February, we are doing one and it's going to be on self-improvement. I have questions about mental health, self-confidence, body image, routines, glow ups, and my personal self-improvement favorites. So let's just get right into today's episode. Starting off with questions on mental health, First one is how to emotionally support yourself, not referring to working out, sleeping, eating well, or listening to podcasts. When it comes to supporting yourself, whether that's emotional or physical, I think it's really important to start looking at yourself the way you look at others and treating yourself the way you treat others. Think about how you emotionally support people you care about. When they come to you with a problem or when they're struggling with something, You don't invalidate their feelings and tell them what they're feeling is wrong or that they shouldn't be feeling that way. You don't tell them that they should ignore how they feel. If you're being supportive of them, you listen to them, you validate their feelings, and you tell them it's okay to feel the way they're feeling. I think it's hard for a lot of us to look at ourselves the way we look at others and follow the advice we give to others and give the same compassion that we give to others. To me, when you emotionally support yourself the right way, you honor your emotions and you validate your emotions. You don't beat yourself up for feeling any type of way. Even if you're upset over the most ridiculous thing ever or people tell you you're being overdramatic. When you're being supportive of yourself, You remind yourself that even if people don't understand me, I know why I'm upset and it's okay for me to feel this way. Some really great things that I think can help you build on supporting yourself is for one, meditation. And when I say meditation, it doesn't have to be sitting in silence. I think a lot of people, when they think of meditation, they have this one image or idea of meditation. But when I say meditation, I just mean setting aside time to be present and quiet with yourself to process how you're feeling. So that could be sitting and listening to meditation music, but that could also be going for a walk without your headphones and just being with yourself. Another thing that can help you build on supporting yourself, and I always recommend this, is affirmations, but not only affirmations, but 
You could also pair affirmations with EFT tapping. I've talked about this before, but it's a method of tapping acupuncture points on your body and it helps with anxiety and resetting your body. And when I do this, I'll tap and say affirmations or things that calm me down like worrying doesn't change the situation. Worrying doesn't change the outcome. I release the desire to know and control the outcomes in my life. And a few of you have already damned me asking for my favorite EFT tapping videos and to share them with you. So someone please remind me and I'll share them to my story on Instagram. The next question is ways to help with anxiety that aren't meds. So first of all, I just want to say medication is not one size fits all. Just because medication works for you does not mean it's going to work for someone else. And just because a certain type of medication works for you doesn't mean that it's going to work for someone else. I was on medication for a little over a year and I decided to get off of it because I felt numb and I was just having a lot of difficulty with weight gain. And at the time I was struggling really fucking hard with my eating disorder. So I just thought the medication was doing more harm than good. With that being said, just because I decided to get off of it doesn't mean that I'm against it. And I really do think that it could be so helpful, but I do know that it's not for everyone. So I'm not pushing that on you. I'm just saying that like it works for some people. It doesn't work for others. So I've explored a few different things to help relieve my anxiety while being off medication. The first thing, which is something that I have to work on constantly, is teaching myself to stay present instead of allowing my mind to wander to the past and future. I've noticed for me that a lot of my anxiety stems from past trauma and also the uncertainty of not knowing what the future holds. When I think about the future, I start worrying about how things are going to come about and what I can do. And I try to control how things play out rather than just letting them be. When I catch my mind wandering and worrying, I try to bring myself back to just where I'm at right now and focus on what I'm doing in that current moment, whether that's working, whether that's spending time with my friends, just being in the now. Obviously, that's much easier said than done. So what has helped me in doing that is grounding myself. And one of my favorite methods of grounding is the 54321 method, which is five things you can see, four things you can touch, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, and then one thing you can taste. And what that is, is you're essentially using your senses to reconnect with your body and reset it and pull yourself away from your mind dissociating and becoming anxious. Another thing that I do that's kind of like that method and helps with grounding is EFT tapping like I just explained. I also think positive self-talk goes a huge way in helping with anxiety. I never want to come off as someone who says that if you think positive that everything's going to be okay. But I do think that speaking positive and speaking to calm yourself down goes a long way. 
just like it's good to have someone around who could de-escalate the situation with their words and help you when you're struggling, I think having the ability to de-escalate your anxiety with your words is super powerful too. When I find myself feeling anxious about things like having to public speak or going to a meeting, looking at myself in the mirror and reminding myself that I'm not in any danger and there's nothing to be scared of is super helpful. And I'm not saying that this is the cure to anxiety by any means, but it does have the ability to calm your nerves, which can lessen the anxious thoughts that you do have. The last tip I'm going to give you, because I think I could do an entire episode on managing anxiety, is taking action always helps me. And I know that it could be very hard to do, especially when you're struggling with your mental health. But for me, anxiety or the feeling of anxiety feels very energized. I don't know if it's because of the adrenaline that's paired with anxiety, but when I have anxiety, I feel like I'm buzzing. And instead of sitting with this heavy thing on me and allowing it to eat at me, I found that getting up and using that anxious energy towards things that will benefit me is so helpful. So doing things like going for a walk, cleaning, being physical and moving, which that alone is really good for your anxiety because working out releases endorphins. But yeah, you get the point. Just getting up and doing something that is useful and could potentially make me feel less anxious or even make me feel good. The last question about mental health that I'm going to answer is this one because I think it's something we all need to work on, me included. And that is how to offer forgiveness to yourself after making mistakes. Like I said before about treating yourself the way you treat others, you need to learn to forgive yourself the way you forgive others. In one of my earlier episodes, I made the point that if you're so able to forgive people who hurt you and do you wrong, if you can forgive your shitty ex-boyfriend for cheating on you and lying to you, you can forgive yourself for your mistakes. I think we're able to forgive others so easily because we know as humans that we make mistakes. But why are you the exception to that? Why do you think that others are more deserving of forgiveness than yourself? For me personally, the reason why I've had such a hard time in the past forgiving my mistakes is because I know that I know better. When others mess up, we give them the benefit of doubt that they didn't know or they didn't mean to. But when I do, I know my intentions. I know how much knowledge I have. I know right and wrong. So when I fuck up, it's like you should have known better. How can you be so careless and so stupid? And I'm so hard on myself instead of just realizing that people make mistakes, no matter how intelligent or good of a person you are. What's made it easier for me to forgive myself is acknowledging that I do have guilt and I have the ability to know when I've messed up. Me feeling guilty and remorseful when I do wrong by others or by myself tells me that I'm not a bad person and I don't have bad intentions and I'm worthy of forgiveness. 
bad people don't feel bad when they do bad things. And also, I'm not making mistakes and smoothing over them. I'm holding myself accountable. Holding yourself accountable and holding a grudge are two very different things. I'm not going to hold this mistake over my head forever. I'm going to hold myself accountable and acknowledge when I fuck up and learn from it. Every time that I make a mistake or I let myself down, it just gives me another chance to learn and grow and be better the next time. No one is perfect. Everyone fucks up. And the fuck ups lead to growth and evolution of a better you. Moving on to self-confidence, the first question we're getting into is right to the point, and that is just how to be confident. It's kind of crazy to me that a lot of people don't realize that confidence is a mindset. People think that if they wear certain clothes or they lose weight or they have a tan, that they're going to magically become confident. And yeah, all of those things can help you if you're insecure about those things, but You can be the most beautiful person in the entire world and still not be confident. Confidence starts internally. Your actions will tell you so much about how you feel about yourself. They reflect your mind. And if you want to be confident or come off as confident, you need your thoughts to be aligned with the actions of someone who is confident. If you are speaking negatively about yourself, and are super insecure about how you look or your ability in things and skills, it's going to be very hard to persuade others into thinking that you're confident because you aren't. The reason you aren't confident is because you've put yourself in a box with things that you believe you are and you aren't, things you're good at and things you aren't. And you've labeled yourself as one thing And if you don't identify with other things, you feel insecure. For example, if you think blondes are the beauty standard and you aren't blonde, you're going to be insecure. If you think people with a big personality are attractive, but you're shy, you're going to be insecure. I think the best way to become confident and overcome these insecurities is by putting yourself out there and pushing yourself. Start wearing things that make you uncomfortable. Try things that scare you. Put yourself in situations that you aren't used to. The more you push yourself to feel uncomfortable, the less it feels that way. And you add more things to identify with and you become more familiar and more secure in those things, which leads to confidence. How to deal with the fear of not being good enough. For me, The reason I struggled so much with the idea of not being good enough for others is because I was so hyper-focused on being liked and accepted by a certain group of people or a certain person because they're what I thought I wanted or they were the validation I thought I needed. So I tried really hard to fit in with them rather than focusing on me and focusing on people who actually aligned with me and were like me. It's really hard to see that when you're in the moment because all you're focused on is being validated by these people. I mean, hey, no one wants to be rejected or disliked. But I look back now at these people who I lost sleep over and I'm like, they weren't shit. Why did I care so much about what they thought? 
why did I change who I was for them? And it's because I was allowing others and society and what is deemed cool to rule what I liked or what I wanted. It's like when girls all have a crush on the popular jock in school. He's literally rude, not even good looking, but it's what the majority wants. So you think because others want him, you should too. And when he doesn't like you, you allow him to decide your worth when he doesn't know shit. There's no reason for you to care what he thinks about you. But from years of being treated like shit and having my heart crushed and having people fuck me over, I've learned the hard way that people who are good for you and are meant for you are not going to make you feel as if you're not good enough. You're never going to have to change yourself or second guess yourself for someone who actually cares about you and wants you in their life. They will be accepting of you and I mean real you, not some persona you put on for others to make them like you. Once you stop caring about what others think and drop the act and embrace who you are, you will attract people who are like you and make sure you know that you are more than good enough. Kind of going off of feeling not good enough for people, the next question is how to deal with the feeling like you are not hot, sexy, attractive enough for others. In the same way that I was allowing others to tell me what I should like or want, the reason so many of us struggle with not feeling good enough physically is because we allow beauty standards to control our perception of what is deemed attractive. I don't know about you, but I am so bored of the quote unquote ideal looking girl or the ideal looking body. Like no shame to all my blonde skinny baddies listening right now. You're all hot as fuck. And I've spent so much of my life wanting to look like you. But just because I don't look like that or one of you listening don't look like that does not mean me or you are any less attractive. There's such a long way to go with society and our views on beauty, but it is really refreshing to see so many more types of bodies and skin tones and races and just people being shown in the media. No one should feel like they aren't beautiful or good enough because they don't fit the beauty standard. Fuck the stupid beauty standard. You know who wants to enforce the beauty standard? Men who still think that women should have the body type they had before puberty or corporations who profit off that body type. And in my humble opinion, I don't think men or businesses should have say over what is fucking beautiful. What's beautiful is how different we all are. We share so many similar qualities, but no one is you and that is fucking hot and sexy, and attractive, and can't be duplicated, no matter how hard someone tries. I've spoken before about my struggles with my eating disorder, body dysmorphia, my insecurities, you name it. But two things that have helped me navigate all of those things and feel more confident and embrace myself is, well, for starters, being aware of what I consume online. If you're struggling with your body image or with your appearance or just confidence in general, don't follow people online who are going to trigger you. 
there was no reason for me to be seeing photos of celebrities and models with bodies that I was never going to be able to obtain, especially in the height of my eating disorder. So I had to unfollow them. It's hard enough battling yourself, but to go on your phone and be triggered is a lot. So unfollowing accounts that aren't good for you is good for you. And then going off of that, focusing on my beauty rather than the beauty that's around me. Obviously, it's great to compliment others, but complimenting others is much different than comparing yourself to others. I would feel so pretty by myself. And then the second I was in a room full of other pretty girls, my confidence would just plummet. Focus on your beauty and embrace it rather than picking apart why you're inferior to others and what others have that you don't. You can be beautiful and others can too, and it doesn't have to take away from yours or theirs. And I'm going to be real with you, okay? You're not going to be everyone's cup of tea. People like what they like, and I know it's really easy to be offended when someone doesn't find you attractive or they aren't interested in you, but their taste has nothing to do with you. Like, let's be fucking for real. Are you attracted to everyone? Hell no. No, you aren't. So don't take it to heart or make yourself feel as if you're not good enough when someone isn't into you. It's their loss. And it's going to be a huge win for someone who does see your value. Speaking of insecurities and body image, I want to answer these questions that focus on body image. So the first one is advice for someone who is struggling with their body image, how to accept your body, how to stop being self-conscious of the way my body is. I think what I just said about what you consume online plays a huge role in how you look at your body and it easily influences you to compare your body to others and compare it to society's beauty standards. So I would first say to be cautious of who you follow online and how you spend your time online. Do not allow society's beauty standards to make you feel as if you aren't beautiful because your body looks different than what they're pushing out there as the ideal body type. What I learned from my struggles with my body is the problem isn't your body. It's the way you think of it and the way you think of yourself. You and your body are so beautiful and unique. And if people that love you can see that, there's no reason why you can't. When you look at someone that you love and respect, you don't tear into them and criticize their body. If anything, you probably have a deep appreciation for their body because you have a deep appreciation for them. For the longest time, I tried to keep myself as small as I possibly could. I would look at photos of myself in high school and feel guilty that I allowed myself to gain weight. If I was able to fit into a double zero then, why can't I now? I had such a bad relationship with myself and my body because I was forcing my body to do something that it wasn't built to do. Of course, my body is not going to look like it did when I was a teenager, before I hit puberty. Also, not to mention, a lot of people don't know this, 
that women hit puberty a second time when they turn 20. How do I expect my body to look the same after going through puberty, not once, but twice? It's not possible. Not for my body, at least. I started to accept my body when I gave my body permission to do what it wanted to do, what it was meant to do. I stopped exercising excessively. I stopped counting calories. I stopped purging. I still took care of my body. I still worked out and ate healthy, but I also allowed my body to rest when it wanted to and eat junk food when it wanted to. Once I started listening to my body and working with my body, I realized however my body ended up looking is the way it's meant to look. And I can't criticize my body for looking the way that it's supposed to. I also realized that no matter how much I worked out, I couldn't achieve the certain look that I wanted. I was never going to be tall with a super flat stomach. I'm 5'1 and my ribs flare out and that's just my body. And it's either I hate my body for the rest of my life over something that I can't change or I learn to accept it and also love it. I was always so quick to point out what I didn't like about my body and let those insecurities eat me alive. But once I started focusing on what I do like about my body and started complimenting myself, my self-esteem increased by so much. Another thing that I've done, and I really do think it's so helpful if you are struggling with your body image, and that is spending more time alone with your body. And I mean like naked body instead of hiding it. When I tell you I have never slept better than I do when I sleep naked, it's so comfortable and freeing in a way almost. But just doing things like that, like sleeping naked, start doing your daily routines and your makeup and skincare naked or in very little clothing, like in your bra and underwear, and just get comfortable with your body and build a better relationship with your body. Oh my God. Also, I can't believe I almost forgot two of the biggest things that have helped me with my body image is one, ditch the scale. There is literally no reason to be weighing yourself unless it's health related or you have to do it for your doctor for some reason. But the number on a scale does not equal how healthy you are or how beautiful you are. Weighing myself played a huge role in my struggles with my body and my ED because anytime I weighed myself and I weighed more than I thought I did, it would reinforce really unhealthy habits of mine to lose weight. And if I weighed myself and I weighed less than I thought, it encouraged me to continue those unhealthy habits because they were paying off. The second thing next to getting rid of your scale is getting rid of any clothes that no longer fits you. Clothing is meant to fit you. You are not supposed to fit into the clothing. There's No reason for me to be trying to fit into a pair of jeans that I wore when I was 18. I'm almost 26. I do not need to diet to fit into those pants. What I need to do is give those pants to Goodwill and go and buy myself a fresh new pair of pants that fit me well and make my ass look so fat. 
all that trying to fit into clothing that no longer fits you does is make you feel like shit. When I wear clothes that are too small and I try to squeeze into them, I feel so insecure because it tricks my brain into thinking that I'm bigger than I am, which I don't mean in a negative way. Being big isn't bad, but I've struggled with body dysmorphia my entire life. And part of it was because I would try to fit into clothing that was too small And because it didn't fit me, my skin would be bulging out of the jeans and falling out of my shirt. And it just didn't complement my body. But I was too afraid to buy a size or two bigger in clothing because I would have to come to terms with I am no longer the size I once was. But let me tell you, you will always look your best in clothing that fits your body. So wear clothing that makes you feel good and accentuates your features. Don't look at the size of the clothing, especially because women's clothing sizes are all bullshit and are literally never consistent. How do I feel confident in my own skin and feel good about who I am? My face breaks out a lot and my eye bags are super dark, among other things. I'm currently on Accutane, but I think I'm purging right now. Girlfriend, join the club. I am the CEO of Dark Under Eyes. I was so unbelievably insecure about my dark circles growing up. They're genetic, so there's quite literally nothing I can do for them. Even under eye filler really isn't an option because I went for a consultation and they said it would do more harm than good in the long run. And when I heard that, I was devastated. But over the past two years, I have grown pretty fond of my dark circles. For one... As cheesy as it is, I love my dark circles because my dad has them and his parents had them. And it's just a little reminder of where I come from and the people that I love. I would never in a million years criticize my dad for his dark circles. I don't even notice them. But even if I did, they're a part of him and I love him. And I think we should look at ourselves more that way. Everything about you and your skin is yours and that should be celebrated and not feared or something you should be embarrassed about. I think dark circles and acne can be so sexy, especially when you embrace them and show that you're confident with them. I think some of the most beautiful people are the ones who openly show their struggles with their skin like Emma Chamberlain or Charlie D'Amelio. Also, There's so much power in showing your skin and the rawness of who you are. People are bored of seeing airbrushed, perfect, and polished skin. People want to see realness and be able to relate to you. Real skin has texture and acne and darkness. Even people who seem to have perfect skin still have those imperfections. Also, like I just mentioned about not noticing my dad's under eye circles. No one is looking at the small details on your face. No one's thinking, wow, she looks so ugly today because of that one pimple. People see you as a whole. They think you're beautiful because they see that you're beautiful. Your acne is not going to take away from that. So start seeing yourself as a whole too. The next two questions are about routines. So the first one is, How to stay consistent with a routine that excites me and makes me the best version of myself. 
I love this question, especially because we see so many morning routines and night routines on social media and they can make us feel really bad about ourselves. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I am not waking up at 5 a.m. every day. There's no way in hell. There's nothing that can motivate me or excite me enough to do that. Routines are not one size fits all. What works for others might not work for you. And you just got to test things out and see what you like and what makes you feel good and what brings you closer to your goals. Because routines should be curated to you. You don't want to be doing things just because you saw on TikTok and you think you should. Your routine should have things that are benefiting you and aligns you with what you're working towards. A lot of people that wake up at 5 a.m. are doing that because they have to go into work at 8 o'clock. I have the privilege of being able to work from home, so I don't need to wake up that early. It does nothing for me. If I try to force myself to do that, it's going to slip eventually and it won't catch on because I don't want to do it. I'm not excited about it. You want to make a routine that aligns with your goals. So every time you do these things, there's a clear direction and there's motivation to get those things done. I know that me waking up and doing my skincare and having a coffee is going to get me in the right headspace and motivate me for that day. I know that working on the podcast is important and beneficial to me and my career. I know going to the gym and working out is going to give me a fat ass. And those are all important things in my routine that are specific to me, that work for me, that excite me. I enjoy all of those things, so I don't have to force myself. They just come easy to me. What has helped me a lot is planning my day out and my routine the night before. So I'm prepared, but also excited about it. And every night I get to curate a new routine or tweak the routine if something didn't feel good that day, or I know that I'm lacking something and I need to add to it. Don't complicate your routine or force things just because you think that's what you're supposed to be doing. Do things that feel right to you and make sense. How to not fall back into old and toxic patterns. I feel like I just talked about this in an episode, but honestly, I have no idea. (laughs) I post each episode and then it's completely erased from my mind and I forget everything I talked about. But I think the first step for this is to pinpoint what the pattern is so you could stop it before it returns. A small and, and, kind, and kind of stupid example is I used to not be the best at brushing my teeth at night. I know it's really gross, but I had a really hard time with forcing myself to brush my teeth. I just hated it. It felt like a chore, but I made it a priority to start brushing my damn teeth. And I was really good about it for a while, but then I stopped brushing my teeth for like three nights, I think. And even just three nights, I could feel the resistance of that habit I created. I could feel myself slipping back into avoiding brushing my teeth. And my ability to catch myself and call myself out for slipping back into that bad habit was enough to stop me from allowing that habit to form again. 
So as much as I didn't want to, I forced myself to brush my damn stinky teeth. Obviously, there's much worse habits out there than not brushing your teeth. But I think if you're able to catch yourself about to fall back into that bad pattern or habit before you allow it to happen, remind yourself why you stopped that pattern and remind yourself of the progress you've made. For example, before you go and text your shitty ex-boyfriend, remind yourself the reason you cut him off was because he made your life a living hell and then remind yourself of all the reasons why your life is so much better now without him and how much you've healed since cutting him off. Sometimes we just need a reminder that although old and bad patterns might feel good in the moment, they aren't going to feel good long term and we're strong enough and capable enough of choosing better habits. And that's absolutely one thing you can do. Replace the need for these bad habits with better ones. For example, instead of texting your shitty ex, text your best friend and distract yourself. Instead of talking shit about someone, compliment someone else. If you can't get rid of the urge to do something, just fill that void with something that isn't going to harm you. Going off of that and talking about replacing old and bad habits with good ones, I want to move on to this question, which is how to improve procrastination and actually take action. In my opinion, creating healthy habits and fitting in work into your daily routine will benefit you so much. I have shared this tip so many times on the podcast, but make a three goal to-do list. So many of us procrastinate when we have too much to do and we put off doing it because we're too overwhelmed. You might have a lot of things to do, but prioritize three things that you need to get done and then move the rest of those things to the next day. So do not multitask. I know you think multitasking will help you get things done quicker. No, do not focus on anything other than the three tasks that need to get done and focus on each task by itself. Don't move on to the next until you're done with the first one and then the second one and then the last one. Also, some things that help me stay productive and help me focus is getting rid of any distractions. Literally, Turn your phone off and throw it across the room. Turn your TV off. Put on some study music and just grind. Also, setting a time limit helps me a lot too. I do so well under pressure. If I know I only have an hour to complete something, I am dialed in. Like I I would put off doing essays for school until the night of. But I would slay it the night of because I had no other choice but to do it. I also like giving myself a little reward after completing a task. Like I'll tell myself if I finish these three things, I can watch my favorite show in bed. Or if I finish this task, I can have a nice coffee. And it just gives me a little incentive to work my little tail feather off. The last tip I have is... A little controversial, but tell people about your goals. I know a lot of people don't like to tell people about their goals because they think that 
they will interfere with them or they'll be embarrassed if the goals fall through. But nothing motivates me more to do things than to prove people wrong or to show people I accomplished something that I told them I would or accomplished something they didn't think I could. It's much easier, in my opinion, to work and get things done than to tell people that I failed or that I didn't complete something because I fucked around. The last question before I get into my self-growth favorites is, how do you create self-love or self-care without spending money? I live paycheck to paycheck, and realistically, I can't buy coffee every day or get my nails done or even buy skincare products for myself. How do I show myself love and support when all I can do is work and stress about the bills I have to pay? I feel you, girlfriend. Bills are stressful as hell, and Just know that you're a boss ass bitch for working and taking care of your bills and you deserve to take care of yourself. Obviously, it can be much easier to do when you do have money, but that doesn't mean you can't do it without spending money. For me, one of the ways I show myself love is through my daily routines. I easily could just wake up and go straight into working, but I know that I would appreciate time set aside to make my coffee and do my skincare. I look forward to my morning routine and my night routine. Having routines and following through with them shows you that you care about prioritizing things that make you happy and that matter to you. Also, prioritizing your self-care in everyday little things goes a long way too and is such a great way to show yourself love, like doing your nails at home, cleaning your space, giving yourself a facial if you already have those products, or even just washing your face, plucking your eyebrows, um, taking a really long bath or shower, or doing yoga or Pilates at home. There's so many great YouTube videos you could follow. Um, Journaling and self-affirmations. I mean, self-care doesn't have to be physical. It could be words of affirmations. Just like I talked about using your love languages on yourself in my date yourself episode. I think a huge part of self-love and self-care is honoring your requests and showing yourself that you care. If you want to watch your favorite show, take a break from studying and lay down on the couch and watch it. If you want to go for a walk, don't deny yourself it because you think you have other things you could be doing like cleaning. I think Listening to yourself and following through on what you want and what you need is one of the biggest things you could do for self-care. The last few questions are going to be quick ones um, and they're going to be about my self-growth favorites because I know some of you have been wanting to know what I use and what has been helping me in my self-love or self-improvement journey. So the first one is which books have helped you grow the most? I'm going to be so real with you. I have never been a reader. I cannot focus when it comes to reading. So when I do read, it's very slow. It's at my own pace. And I have to be very interested in the book that I'm reading. I almost always read for a purpose. I'm not just reading for leisure because I want to read. I fucking hate reading. But with that being said, the books that I do read typically have to do with manifesting. So some of my favorites are Ask and It's Given, Learning to Manifest Your Desires, Wishes Fulfilled, Mastering the Art of Manifesting, The Manifestation Wheel, 
The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success, and then The Secret. All of those books are linked in my Amazon storefront, and I'll make sure to add that into the description if you want to check them out. The next question is favorite self-help podcast besides your own. That's another thing. I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. I've never really been a podcast girly. The first podcast that I ever listened to was in the summer of 2021, and it was Mindset Magic and Manifestation by Michaela J. And she's still one of my favorites. I also really like On Purpose with Jay Shetty, especially the guests he has on his show. And then I've also been listening to the Moments podcast by Lexi Hidalgo. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. I'm so sorry. Um, But we follow each other on TikTok. And I've always been very inspired by her videos. And I think what she does with her space on the internet is really great and empowering. And I love to see anyone use their platform for good. So if you like motivational, empowering, just feel good videos and podcasts, definitely check her out. And the last question is, do you have any journal prompt ideas? So for me, I don't go by any specific journal prompts. It's kind of just how I feel in the moment. So like if that day I'm not feeling the best, I'll literally look on Pinterest or TikTok or Google calming journal prompts or journal prompts for when you're upset and then I'll choose one that speaks to me. Some that I always go back to are write about things that you're grateful for and what is something you're working towards. I really like journaling in the perspective of talking to myself, whether that's talking to past me or present me. So those prompts could look like write a letter to your younger self about what you've learned so far or write a letter as if you're you in a year from now and you're talking about everything that's different and going well for you. And then for everyday journaling, I think it's always really good to write down your intention for the day, your goals for the day, what you're grateful for, and a daily affirmation. But yeah, I hope that helps. And I hope that all of the questions that I answered helped you in some way. If I missed any, or if you think you have a question that would have went really well in today's episode, make sure to fill out another Google form because I can definitely do another episode on these topics again. Thank you to everyone who sent in a question and thank you so much for listening to today's episode. That's all for today. If you could please give Trying Not To Care a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple, it really helps me out and I appreciate it so much. And we're also about to hit 10,000 on Trying Not To Care's Instagram. So I would be so grateful if you could head over there and give it a follow as well as my main Instagram account. Those will both be in today's description as well as my TikTok account. And yeah, as always, thank you so much for listening and following along. I love you besties and I will talk to you next time. Bye besties.